Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That is the trick of it. That is that is the whole deal, isn't it? The whole trick of life is to not die. That's, you know, to survive. And bunch of people didn't survive last week it was fucking brutal there were, mostly, um, i don't know if all of them were from drugs I, I suspect one was but and then you know like i had this discussion last night at the dodger game what is drugs so so the newest <laughs> thing is- of com- well common folk common folk meaning non-addict folk non-sophisticated you know counselor types or aa people To common folk, if you die from drugs you get from your doctor, it's not that bad. It's kind of just an accident. Oh, boy. Right? Okay. Drugs is drugs. No, 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 Chuck. You're being prejudiced, and you're being closed-minded. Oh. If you get it from your doctor, you're not as dead as if you get it from a drug dealer. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently. Good point. You know what would be good is? If they just came out and said it, since we're a Christian nation, people that die from drugs from doctors go to heaven. People that die from heroin and cocaine and methamphetamine that they buy off the street that they know better, that's bad for them, and they're bad people, they go to hell. Let's okay. Just, let's just go leave it like that. to hell. Excellent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no, I just, I, I, I came up against it because Andy from Depeche Mode died still to be determined uh alan white the great drummer from john lennon and yes died and then two other kind of acquaintance of mine died and of course when somebody dies it's always like well they died we'll find out in three months what they died of yes but the i think the bigger picture is that half of america believes that you go to an eternal fire when you die <laughs> more than half like 80 percent come on what like well, melted lava or something like yeah Mel, uh, yeah it's all human you know what's so funny so there's two things i always think about as i got older because when i was an atheist when i'm 22 and everybody's jesus freaks in huntington beach i'm like nervous like am i wrong am i like i didn't know what being a non-believer really meant i just didn't believe in any of it and i I thought maybe it's a punk rock pose because all my idols didn't believe in God, like Jello Biafra and John Lydon and, and uh, Joe Strummer. They don't believe in God. So then, like, of course, I'm not going to believe in God, I guess. I don't know. But, um, but what was interesting is as I got older, it just becomes like what you're saying, Mike. It becomes laughable. So, so Chuck, and I, I, don't, I don't know whether you have faith or not. I'm assuming that you do, and I'm not attacking anybody of faith. I'm just coming from a place of not, not <laughs> you, having faith. <laughs> you can't say it's laughable and then say that you're not attacking. Well, no, it's so like, I just, how, I just how, never hu- get it. how people wait, humanize wait, wait. it, how, how it's humanized. Let me I, finish I, my thought. How it's humanized. It. Heaven has, has like good whiteness. Point. It has to be white, and it's... And it's fluffy and it's, oh. it, you know, it's like, it's like an Armani bedroom or something. You know what I mean? How we humanize this mystery, right? And then right. hell is this hot place, this burning hot place. And I guess the temperature is perfect in heaven. It, it's just, it, that's the part to me, <laughs> the humanization <laughs> of these afterlifes, right. that it's just so ridiculous. No, the, the idea that you would even have a human form. Or that there would be gold in an afterworld. <laughs> yeah, I, I, or virgins. I, Apparently there's vaginas. Yeah. There's vaginas, Chuck. Uh, yeah, yeah I, but- I, I don't I don't see that. I just I I think I'm more with the, the alien people where there's just another dimension that we can't no one alive today can explain or know for sure. One way and or never the other. Have, and here's the thing, well, and that's billions the beauty of, of people. Here's the thing that's fascinating about religion. Billions of people believe in afterlife, whether it's in Islam, Christianity, uh, Jews don't, but, but, um, uh, and, and your, your, uh, Indian, uh, Indian, like the, the Sikhs and 
or like what you know hindus believe in and the ones that don't are like the jews the buddhists and the atheists right so but so it's literally like four billion people on this planet believe in this thing that never in the history of civilization has there been any evidence of it right it's called faith Mm -hmm. right so so it is fascinating that man has this need to know about mortality right Mm -hmm. because for some reason and all the you know fundamental you know the traditional believers like the more you know kind of crazy believers that have talked to me about how can i be an atheist well what does it matter about life and i'm like whether you believe or you don't believe what everybody wants to live a good life and be you know be productive be helpful there's just something amazing about the world about existence when i wake up in the morning i don't know where i came from and then i realize i'm bob and i got kids screaming and i gotta fucking make some money to pay the bills or whatever but but that there's that there's more it has to be more meaning to it than just how rad it is i'm no, looking right out a window at it. oak trees that have been here for hundreds of years bears right. walk by here bobcats walk by here my kids are, are laughing outside it's it, it it just i just was helping sid learn how to dry, ride her bike without training wheels why why christian jesus ever walked by her no jesus never walks well he does walk by highland and hollywood i've seen him there several times yeah but um but what i'm saying it's just like helping a little girl learn how to ride a bike without training wheels that's what life is about why christians have to hold on why christians have to criticize non-believers well what's the point of living then what keeps you from what do you believe in why do you even exist why don't you just kill yourself like it's just so fascinating that that they believe this cartoon thing that they're they just because of their faith they get to go to this place where there's like gucci bags and virgins and all amazing music and perfect temperature it's just kind of crazy to me i got a question for you what if you're a racist and you live down south and you're go to you know southern baptist church and you're god-fearing and you uh but you you know you are a racist you are a self uh, acclaimed white supremacist okay so you die and you go to heaven are there black people there no probably not you probably you you know maybe we should call somebody in alabama and find out i don't know what if they are what if they are well obviously i mean is there more than one heaven that's (laughs) there you go fuck really um so let me let me now switch gears because because i'm I came onto this thing like three years ago when I watched this documentary. You know when they're the environmentalists and the global warming people are like, oh, the earth is dying and oh, you know, and the people are greedy and blah, blah, blah. And it's just the same kind of theme that's been going on since really the ecological of movements of the 70s. <laughs> ever, ever since man could see stars. They've been no, predicting but the, the this kind of political agenda, everything's global warming, everything's, uh, you know, and everything's seen to mm-hmm. a prism of, you know, we have to save the earth and we can't have fossil fuels and get it buy a Tesla. If you're a te- if you drive a Tesla, you're a good person. And what's amazing to me is this thing that Kurt Vonnegut wrote, which is the, the earth is fine. If it raises temperature and turns into molten lava, it's fine. It's the people that are fucked. And what I realized in the in that movement is they've decided that this is beautiful. Like, I believe it's beautiful. I'm looking out my window. I'm looking at 100-year-old oak trees. I'm looking at olive trees that are in front of my house. I'm looking at beautiful, like, this weird purple flowers that only bloom for, like, three weeks out of the year. Um nature is beautiful aesthetically to my human eye but but it it's not to earth earth doesn't give a fuck earth this could all be fire or ice like it was a million years ago it doesn't matter to earth earth doesn't right. care it's the people that care about it right. staying the way that they like it to look do you understand right. what i'm saying no 100% and i think the people that miss the magic and the beauty in every day that we have, like I was behind a Prius 
that had a bumper sticker on it that said, how could hell be any worse? And I felt <laughs> bad. I felt bad for the guy because if that's the way he sees this, I existence, felt bad for him too because bad religion is his favorite band, dude. Think of that. <laughs> you know, but the idea that if you, if you don't see the good, that's on you. If you don't see the beauty, that's on you. You've missed it. Your little bit of time on this rock in space, which is all really it is. And there was a comedian guy the other day that was like, you know, you think you're in America? Zoom out a little bit, man. You're on a rock in space in the middle of infinite nothingness that is getting bigger. So infinite is expanding, was which is Eddie an impossibility. Izzard? Did Eddie Izzard say that? No, it was some guy that just popped up on a weird feed. And I was just like, this guy gets it. You know, are things supposed to warm up? I They've been warming up. Otherwise, the ice wouldn't have melted and we'd still be in an ice age. Are things supposed to keep warming up? I don't know. I don't care. I'm going to enjoy the sunny days and the rain and prepare for the foul stuff that comes and just make the most of what we've got here. Because I don't know for sure, man. I'm not one of those people uh, that believes that this is what heaven's going to be like. That's kind of frustrating. Like when people think the ark was real. And that it wasn't a story to teach a lesson, you know, that whatever. But I don't know what happens next. The ark wasn't real? <laughs> you know? No, I heard that they found the ark in some mountain in the Himalayas. I saw a TV show about it. Yeah, but and I'm sure it had it, just two of each animal and everything just worked out perfectly since then. It was on the same channel that had Bat Squatch. The giant bat that was, a <laughs> you know, so it's like, it, I, I get it that people find comfort in that. But all I do know is that it seems like the more I live my life along my, uh, following my moral compass, I feel good about who I am and I feel good about what I'm doing. And I enjoy life more when I stick to, you know, my moral compass may be different than everybody else's out there, but I feel good. It's not so people go, Chuck's a good guy. It's so I can be okay at the end of the day with how I walk through it. That I didn't make anybody's day worse is just my goal on any given day because I did that when I was getting loaded. And now I can see I feel better. I like and I find the beauty. And I know having a kid with special needs has opened my eyes to so many things I wouldn't have seen because it's caused me to slow down and look at things well, from I told Bugs you, level. I think did I ever tell you, yeah, to, because it's such a beautiful level that he he such a beautiful pure vantage point right oh it's and amazing it and so i had this experience when i was like i don't know i guess a year sober um i was working with autistic uh high functioning autistic men right and and chris kafer is this guy that i worked with and everybody loves him everybody knows him and he he was just like with me all the time and um and he just looked at the world like in this parallel way that AA is actually trying to teach you to be like, but no, no mm -hmm. AA people are like that. Right. No, you know what I mean? like one day at a time, <laughs> just worry about now, just living today. And everybody's worried about, you know, how they're going to make more money or, you know, when they're going to meet the perfect person who's going to, you know, fix their whole life or their next album's going to be a hit. Everybody's projecting mm -hmm. forward. Chris never did that. Never. Right. Just Live today. in the moment. And it enjoying. was just today. Yeah. And, 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 it. and it was so beautiful. Now he had little quirks and things that have, had come along the years and along the way that you kind of had to look out for. Um, he had to see um, somehow during the day, somehow I had to be near a television to watch Judge Wapner's A People's Court. He had to watch it. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I mean, he had to watch it. <laughs> like we watch it. This is before phones, so we watch it many times, like in uh, Fries and, and Sunset and so and Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, to get to where there was yeah, a TV. I couldn't get to Glendale <laughs> home. I had in fucking five o'clock or four four thirty. It was on. 4.30, we had to watch Judge Wapner. Oh, that was, that was the Rain Man thing, Judge Wapner, definitely Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner. That, was, that, was, that was Chris's, too. And Chris's other thing was females' uh, toenails. Well, record stores, too. too. Record, record stores. stores. Yeah, Mike, oh, you met him, right? Yeah, he was him. amazing, man. He could remember he's, well, he's still everything. Alive. He is an amazing guy. And I started seeing this thing of, like, what I'm really trying to do 
by working the steps and living in each day in the moment, this combination of Buddhist meditation practice I was doing in AA was live like how Chris views the world naturally. Yeah. Like you get up, you're going to go eat. You got to eat, Bob. You got to eat. You want to go to IHOP, Bob. We should go to IHOP. <laughs> and then we yeah. go to IHOP. You've never seen a guy day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. So fucking happy. <laughs> to be eating pancakes at IHOP every oh time. Yeah. No cynicism. How about this? No cynicism. You remember oh, how yeah. Bob, you remember how Bob, he would go through all the records and everything. Oh, yeah. Like he could go through so fast. All the records yeah. really fast. And then he could yeah. tell you what was in the last record pile. Like I a, tested him, Chuck. It oh was so God. weird. Mm -hmm. So at counterpoint records on Franklin and Bronson, he would just, he was looking for one record his whole life. I guess he had it as a kid and then he was looking for it again. And I tried to find it. This is before eBay and the internet and whatever. And we tried to find it. And I tried to find it everywhere. I asked every record store person. It's called uh, Feliz Navidad by uh, Edie Gourmet. Oh, nice. Right? <laughs> and uh, he was obsessed with finding that record. So he would go through record piles so fast, like, and then he'd switch to the next pile. And he had a system with both fingers where he just went through a whole stack of, you know, 50, 75 records like Mike saw it, like in a yep. minute. Yeah. And I would, and I stop him and I go, Chris, there's no fucking way you know you could be going this fast through these records looking for Feliz Navidad means Christmas by Edie Gourmet. And, uh, and so I stopped him and he had looked through about 40, this one little pile. And I took him out of the thing and I held him to, uh, facing me. And I said, Chris, what's the first record? He, he said it. Yep. And he said, what record, like Capitol records, Frank Sinatra, the fly me to the moon, uh, serial. <laughs> and sometimes he would know the serial numbers of records, but yeah. he always knew the record company. And he, and he, I went through it all. He only missed about three out of 40 <laughs> in perfect, in perfect order. And I, and I was watching him. And I said, I, you know, what it was is he has photographic memory because he closes his eyes and he actually sees the thing that was down in the, in the record slot. Yeah. Uh -huh. He's not remembering it like we would remember. He just can close his eyes and see it. How fucking amazing is yeah, that? Yeah, and That's given the time, cool. given the time, you know, slow, like slow him down a little bit and he could probably memorize, you know, an entire record store. Yeah, he could if he spent enough time in it. Like if he worked at a record store, he worked at a pizza parlor, pizza hut. See, and and someone cynical like me would use that to make money playing blackjack or something. You know what I mean? Well, I'm trying well, to. Oh no! Listen. Oh, so Rain Man had come out. I don't know what year was Rain Man. Like 88? eighty eight. Eighty. It was nineteen eighty eight. So everybody that worked with with at my company, it was a company that did did this in home kind of uh, you know uh, mentor. I don't know what it was called, like counseling on the fly or whatever. And uh, everybody tried to get them to count cards. Everybody, I had like I had Chris primarily, and then two other guys two days a week. <laughs> Everyone, I sat there like they just not interested in cards. <laughs> 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 right, right. Because that's not a goal. The goal that's isn't awesome. to make money. The goal is just to, today's a beautiful day. That's why I like when Bug says, let's go for a bike ride, telling him tomorrow. No, let's go for a bike ride. I've learned, let's do what we want to do today. I don't know how many Saturdays we just picked up and done something because it was a good idea. Usually it's to go see music and he's still pissed that we didn't take him to see Diva. Uh -huh. Of all things. Yeah, yeah. So everybody at this company, like, even the teenagers, we were like, "Hey, maybe we can, tr maybe we can get them into cards." Because a lot of th a lot of times they they latch on. You know, <laughs> like, dude, you're making sixteen dollars an hour to deal with people who sometimes fight themselves. Like it wasn't the greatest job. So, so uh, <laughs> we're gonna find our way. We're out. gonna find we're our all way gonna out. Share in the, in, the, in the profits. We're not gonna be greedy about it. So yeah, yeah. So, but. <laughs> what happened was his dad, Chris's dad loved records. And so that's what they had together. He also, Chris loved bowling, was obsessed uh, with bowling, was in a bowl, bowling league for decades that I knew him, right? That I, for a decade. 
at the uh, uh, Glendale Bowling Alley on on Brand or whatever on, on what, east of Brand. So so uh, his dad bowled and his dad loved records. How cool is that? This thing, his dad had been dead for years, and he would say, uh, so anytime the subject of dad would come up, yeah, Chris would go through this. It's him, him remembering and feeling feelings about his dad, though they're kind of disconjointed, just connected. He would, if somebody said, "Oh, that's my dad," and he would say, "Your dad, your dad, your dad's not alive anymore, Bob. Your dad's not alive. Your dad died. He died. Your dad died." And <laughs> if you can do that right, yeah, it's amazing. And what's funny is. I was doing that in early sobriety. I really was first. Isn't the first, you know, first two or three years of sobriety are the best. I think if you're really into it and you're really doing it and you're really changing or trying to change, just nothing is, is, is as good as that. Yeah. No, those think. are, those are years to embrace really, man. And it's hard to yeah. tell somebody in her, in sobriety in their first 10 years of sobriety or something that, you know, just joy, enjoy that enthusiasm and stuff and just, just relish in it, you know, and, uh, yeah, so great. Love, Such love a great the ups, time. embrace the downs, learn, grow. We grow, people grow so fast that like when you see them a year later, as you know, Bob in treatment, you know, you see them come in, and then you see him a year later, and it's just like, my God, you don't recognize the person. They're so much different. Uh, the person, the person who that works at Allo, who always gets a hundred percent on their, um, you know, on their rounds, hundred percent every time, every every shift, every week, every month, every year, was a guy that got sober at Beachwood, right? Nice. And. He's still in that groove. He, he's at like, probably like at six years now, maybe even seven. But one of the things that does keep you in that groove is working with newcomers and being around mm -hmm. treatment and working like it is cool. I figure I was like that for sure. I was like that until I took the job at Los Encinas. So till 2003, <laughs> I was, you know, once I was, uh, what we're saying once is that you're not the same and you're not the it, same. It, it, you're not, I'm not as good as I used to be at sobriety, <laughs> at living one day at a time. Uh, we at, just change a little bit. That's all. Letting go. No, but I knew it was going to change me because it was learning something that I didn't know how to do. And I was scared of, and I, I, um, you know, most people just shy away from things that make them feel scared or uncomfortable, right? Working at a psych mm -hmm. hospital, wearing a tie, going back to school to become a chemical dependency counselor at 38 years old. These are uncomfortable things that most people don't do, right? right? And so, you know, but, but, you know, that tie thing, like wearing a tie. I remember railing against it with peers, like, why do we got to wear ties for it's fucking 1990, you know, it's 2004. Why we got to wear ties? Nobody wears ties to work. Why do we have to wear ties? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. You know, I, what I is still, this, the Pacific group down in Santa Monica? Yeah, yeah. Them? You can't go to work without it's, a fucking tie. It's strange, but you, you just made me feel a lot of things because I was like 40 when I, you know, my Amy goes, you know what? You might want to graduate before Tristan does. You know, and it was just oh, like, oh man, I go, oh, okay, cool. And I, I go and I was nervous as fuck to take my GED because I'm a high school dropout from, right. from way scary, back. I wasn't scary. even close to graduating and I, I'd never learned how to study right. I didn't know how to take tests, you know, and then to pass the GED as well as I did. And then she said, Bob, well, you know, now you can go to school. And it's just like, it was scary and it's uncomfortable and everybody's younger. And, and but I'm so glad that I had someone on my team, you know, and someone who was happy with my successes. I think that's one of the things you do get from working in treatment is we get to applaud other people. You know what I mean? And yeah. when, when you're happy about other people turning it around and getting it right, it doesn't level out for the ones we lose because it's been another week where there's been a couple people that are on the, on the fringes of things that we've lost. This thing's not slowing down at all, but you know, to hear that this one guy who was a, a, a no hope, guy is taking some people out on a retreat this weekend and he's got over a year now and it's just like that's where it's at and it's just like yeah damn i want to see buddy why you know? is it not more appealing 
I think AA is becoming less and less appealing to young people. I, I, if I was, if I was somebody who was like a high up or cared a lot about the future of AA, I'd be nervous as fuck, honestly. Well, I, I, I think you called it that it's fading, but it's going to be a real slow fade. And a, pro a lot of the problem is, is the dinosaurs. It is the dinosaurs that are the same people that aren't ready for anything to change. Well, they want would, everything to what, stay exactly the same. But here's what somebody else that's younger says, and they wanted me to do it. And I was like, I'm not fucking 30 years old. And he said, we need a new version of this. And he was, you know, he had been in a lot of treatment centers and he was finally sober, but he had just such a hard time with the, a lot of those dinosaur, not even dinosaur people, just dinosaur ideas. Yep. Right. Dinosaur ideas are still remain in the big book. It's like the Bible. You can't question it in any way. It's a fucking thing written by a con artist. Like it's not the Bible. <laughs> no, it's not. Right? It's certainly it's so, not, not a holy so, book for sure. So anyways, the, the idea was to, you know, Bill Wilson, and I think Dr. Bob wasn't as negative about the Oxford group, but Ep, Ed, Eddie, 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 Eddie and Bill Wilson hated the Oxford group. They hated it. Okay. That's why they started AA, and most of AA is based in the Oxford group. Much like I don't, I the don't old, think that I old, didn't get that that they hated it, Bob. Oh, oh yeah, they did. No, I, I get that they wanted. Oh, to not do in the AA book. You got to read no, not God, the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. But from what I understand of the Oxford group, is it got heavier into the weirdness where it's like one person would speak in tongues and someone else would interpret it. And that's what they were just completely turned no, off. They by. They no, they I mean, it, it wasn't going to work basic. for alcohol. It's religion. It's religion. And AA is just religion without religion, without it, calling it religion. And the Oxford group wasn't working for alcoholics. So they wanted something that would work for alcoholics. What do you mean it wasn't working for? It was designed for alcoholics. But it wasn't working with all the low bottom alcoholics that. Uh, Bill Wilson and Bob, Dr. Bob tried to help the ones that were well, all AA's not in, working with all those people now. Well, because there's things have changed. There's like two different types. There's very few just hardcore alcoholics so that go listen, to AA. This kid who's 23 years old is saying this program doesn't work for millennials. This program doesn't work for all the millions of homeless people all over the United States on the streets, low bottom alcoholics, just like in 1936. This program is not, if you look at downtown Los Angeles, it's hard to believe there's a solution to your alcohol problems, right? Yeah. Well, you're going to defend AA. I understand, Mike, but just try to have an open mind. You know, that's what we try to do in AA. So this kid was saying, isn't it time for a revolution? Isn't it time? It's been a hundred years. Isn't it time that people from within AA that aren't satisfied with it, its effectiveness, which are the same people that were in the Oxford group, Abby, Eddie, Abby, uh, Dr. Bob, Doc, uh, Bill Wilson, and a lot of the early hundred uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous members were all in the Oxford group. And they were brave enough and courageous enough to stand up and say, you know what? It's the 20th century. That shit doesn't work. And we are now in the 21st century. We all can see that it doesn't work very well, but we're clinging to it because it worked for us. But you have all, you are also the, the one that vocalizes about millennials being lackadaisical about everything. I mean, this sounds like an easier, softer way. Let's invent a program that's just a little softer and easier for us. Well, that's what, because what we're is. doing is that's taking drugs and is. benzos. No, it, Bill Wilson was an intellectual. He was a, highfaluter he was an arrogant guy he was a narcissist mm. and he I mean, didn't like religion how many of these young people that are on that want you know uh, to change a program for and make one for themselves are on fentanyl and benzos right they don't even drink alcohol hardly yeah that's true they're they're on drugs that's right, right. and but we've also got so there's so much more new science uh the last 50 years of studying the brain and with the with the brain scan things and we're seeing the physical the physical causation of actual addiction and the, the new neural pathways and the way the brain is disrupted and the way 
Our thought process that's supposed to go from the top down goes from the bottom up. So there's got to be there's there's got to be a more science based way that we can approach uh, this other, other than just the the magic of the sky daddy because that's that's the way kids see god they go oh oh yeah you you believe in the magic sky daddy and i said no it's just like this power of the universe thing that i don't understand and i can't but define so, i can't so put can it in a box can you follow i i don't want to argue about it i'm just trying to say this is a conversation i had with a really bright kid who's been sober for two years and he was posing the thing to me and he wanted me to be the one to do it because i have so many problems with AI. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm too old. I'm not interested in that. Why don't you do it? And he said something very interesting. He said, no old timers will respect me. You guys just proved that point. (laughs) (laughs) No, I respect it. I, I, you know, when you told us about that heroin uh, program, remember what was it called? Heroin something? Heroin's anonymous. Yeah. Heroin Heroin anonymous. I was like, let's go. It's not catching on. It's like only in Pasadena. Here's the thing. That's I don't know a lot of heroin. I know a lot of heroin addicts. I don't know many of them that live in Pasadena. I don't know yeah. why Pasadena is this it's weird a bigger movement. This heroin yeah. anonymous. You got to start that shit in Santa Monica or something. So <laughs> so, anyways, the idea would be. So I I indulged him and I said, so what parts of AA do you like that you would keep? And he said, the the fellowship. That's it. Right? Yeah. Wants to get the chicks or something? No, the fellowship, the community. Like Mike, please. Like <laughs> oh my God. so he and and he knows the book backwards and forwards. And he uh, said, you know, um, if you take uh an intervening God out, you don't have to get rid of God. And I was like, How would you do that? And he said, Well, it's just so much about this this God that intervenes rather than this God that you accept and align with. Right. So that's, that, that's an interesting idea. Chuck, you follow. Yeah. Like like he it. doesn't like the prayer requests granted sobriety granted to the individual because they requested enough or they humiliated them. They believe the right or way they, or, they or they said the right words. Yeah. And then they get their sobriety granted from the big guy in the sky. He was like, you align with the universe. You align with God's will. Why is it this reward? Why is there that subtext uh, that Bill Wilson had to put in there for no reason, really, which is that you stay sober because God keeps you sober. Like where right. is the personal responsibility in that? And he says that's where a lot of that's where I I and a lot of my friends just can't can't really get on board with. And I said, well, I had that problem in the eighties. And he said, and then you just did what most of the people that made AA work for you. Probably, I'm assuming you just didn't think about it anymore. And I said, yeah, you're right. I just like I don't think God keeps me sober. I don't you talk take about what it you need much. and you leave the rest. Yeah, right, right. But, but when it's something want- so fundamental is what keeps you sober, you're well, begging yeah. of God to keep you sober. I, don't, I mean, I just, don't, I just don't it, understand it because, you know, like I, I, that was never, you know, the Hollywood strip group. Most of the people just believed in the group fellowship. The group as a whole was I know you power. just made fun of this kid who said the fellowship is one of the most important things I would keep. You no, just that made is, fun of I it. I didn't make three, fun of him. I just <laughs> you did. I, I did not. I, I yeah. Okay. Well, I I didn't make fun of him though. You no. said he wants to fuck girls. That's why he wants to. Oh, um, yeah, that was crass. <laughs> you know, um, you're right, Bob. That was crass. Point it out again, please. There was a, there's a cool thing that's I I forget. I think it's called like uh, punks in recovery. That's on I just Instagram. Gotta say it, Chuck. Let me say it. The, this guy I was talking to does not want to be around girls. Okay, uh, I got you. I got you. And, and you know what? And I and I apologize. It was crass. Okay, so let's move on. Now, okay. what I'm saying is that a lot of our group of uh, that we grew up with, Bob, always held the fr- the fellowship as a closer entity than God. You know, like you know that that was our that was our uh, higher power. The the group. You're right. Chuck, is that what's it like in Huntington Beach? I've never been a part of I've went to the Howe Foundation on Beach Boulevard for a while. Uh, how, 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 see the the two meetings I go to are one's my my home group and we do lean on each other a lot. It's more like God with skin on it, right? So it's not just this idea. It's the idea that I know 
that the people there understand me. I know them. I show up. I look forward to hearing what's going on with them. I, I've gone there on my worst days. I've gone there on my best days, you know, and it's not, a, it's different than a lot of uh, other kinds of meetings. Um, the whole group goes down when things go sideways for, for people, you know, it's just, a, it's just a caring, loving group of people. And I think that's vital that we have a community. I think the fellowship is the most, I think it is vital. I think it is important that we connect with other human beings. We lost a lot of people in that I know of in recovery during pandemic when they couldn't be around other people anymore. Um, what are the numbers? What are the numbers? Because I've gone back to a couple of meetings. They're just not the same. There, there is not the multitudes of people at the meetings I used to go to in, in Echo Park Silver Lake. There's not, it's not as many people as before COVID. I don't know. Oh, what no. Happened. A lot of people are they still doing it. online meetings. There's a lot of people are still doing it because it's, it's easier, I guess. I don't know. It's just not my thing. Well, I don't like being works, in a crowd if it of works, people I don't know, but I like you have all the people, people that you don't like do their own in-home meetings and not come to the regular ones. I might go back a hundred percent if that's okay. <laughs> You know, so <laughs> the ones we don't like out there starting. Can to you, you follow me? Like, there's about there's about five or six guys, all guys actually. Uh, if I was guaranteed not to see them, I would more likely go to more meetings. So if they could just move online, so mm -hmm. they can spread their hatred, you know, I would love that. Our little group split because of that because we went back to the beach and it turned into this thing about traditions and group conscience and voting and all this bullshit so the rest of us we're just now we're the outlaw sunset beach group because we so uh, the other group didn't think it was safe to do meetings again as soon as the beach opened back up a few of us got out there because we knew there were a lot of people from the the local recovery homes and stuff yeah that show up at the meeting and we wanted people to be there for them so we showed yeah. up what's wrong and with we, that you know and well a lot of people in the group said uh, we didn't vote on returning to the beach. And we said we didn't vote to leave it. The police shut it down. Oh, so right. we're just, we're just going to come out here and so be out here. So grown back to the numbers that it was? That's what I'm asking. It hasn't, it's, has it? No, it went down to, mm -hmm. it went down to about, there were maybe five or 10 of us. And right now we're Because I about, went there one time, there was like 25, 30 people. Yeah. There's, there's about 15 to 20 people regularly now. And it, it, it swells and goes down and swells and, and goes down because how, it's a lot it's a lot of so, new people. That's how you know? the Silver Lake Echo Park meetings are. I also believe that the cost of housing in Silver Lake Echo Park has gone through the roof. I had a friend of mine, I just heard about this morning via, via a, a mutual friend. In order to get a house that was desirable, there was a bidding war to lease a house. Now you gotta get this <laughs> to lease it. And they just trumped it and said, I'll pay a year's rent in advance. No How fucking way. crazy is that? But to get a nice house that you can live in with your kids in LA now, you got to bid and compete. And the price of the thing that's listed goes up above, you know, the asking price because other people want it. It gets into a bidding war. Well, I'll pay, you know, 5,100. Oh, I'll pay 5,200. Swear to God. And That's so this crazy. Friend, this acquaintance of mine just said, I'll pay a year's rent at this price all at once. I bet you that landlord was just like, come again? <laughs> like, Are you people nuts? Why don't you just move to Arizona? <laughs> like, it's well, fucking you, crazy to rent a house in LA. It's but insane. You, but you know that the, the low rent, the affordability is what made that area creative and interesting. So it's going to lose all its, its more personality. So I think it's lost a lot of the a lot of the core people. A lot of people move to Altadena. That's like the new hot spot, hip spot. You know, Echo. I mean, uh, Mount Washington Highland Park is kind of expensive now too. So people moving more and more north. Eventually, I think they'll all just move out here to Claremont. Don't you think, Chuck? A couple more, <laughs> I think couple you're, more, you're, couple you're more gentrifications. <laughs> well, pretty. I could sublet like, this place and make money. <laughs> you've already got you've already got you and dimitri yeah so i want to i want to switch gears i want to tell you guys something funny that happened that that you know it's some of me and mike's oldest best friends so i i gotta be delicate about how i talk about it but um i don't know if you guys watched the dodgers game on uh tuesday night was it monday or tuesday was it the pirates 
Yeah, I watched. I went to two games. I went last night and the night Pretty before. Sure so didn't. what? So Tuesday night, I was in those seats behind home plate that everybody can see on television, right? And I was sitting next to Kevin McCarthy from Congress, the um, Republican representative of I don't know some somewhere. He's a congressman from some somewhere in Southern California, I think. Right, Mike. Uh-huh. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the former Speaker of the House. So I'm sitting right next to him, Chuck. He's with a group of friends, and I'm there with them, kind of. So it's hard to explain. So there's a group of tickets. The other people, the people that own half of them, brought Kevin, and the friend of mine brought me, gave me and Sid their tickets. So I'm sitting right next to Kevin McCarthy on television every pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got some text messages, Chuck, from some loving liberals. Uh huh. Not about, so loving. About to light that man up or something. First, yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> Give him an earful, spill of coke on him, like you know, whatever. Really, kind of uh, shitty. Just, but <laughs> sh- shitty things. But really, shitty things at first towards me, like that I'm friends with him and I went to the baseball game with him. Oh, right. So. Imagine that, like I'm. Oh, you fucking asshole! I Judges were, and juries. I knew you wow. were a fucking trumper. That was one of the first texts. Like I'm were not they a being trumper. Funny? Were they being funny no? Or... People hate me, Chuck. You know, you gotta get used <laughs> to that. I mean, they they hate me in a loving way, but they hate me. Uh, yeah, but that and, doesn't even then they don't know you very well if they'd say that. Yeah, they do. They know me well, but they see what they want to see. Everybody, ah, like, you know, good point. I'm, here's here's the mo, and I, you don't probably get it because most of your friends are, you know, in recovery or recovery people, not like how me and Mike have been. So I make money off of other people's suffering. That's one thing I get labeled all the time. Mm. That's I work in treatment. I make money off the twelfth step. Right? Mm-hmm. How do I live with myself? Celebrity rehab, sleazy scumbag. These are what my friends call me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so what goes along with that, as oh, since the Clinton Trump campaign, when I just said I wouldn't vote for either one of them, I've been kind of looked at out of the corner of a lot of my liberal friends' eyes that he's a fucking Trumper. He just won't say it. He's a fucking rehab mogul. He's a fucking Trumper. So this all came flooding through my phone chuck because i was sitting next to kevin mccarthy at a baseball game through no choice of your (laughs) own just happenstance did you know him at all or kevin mccarthy no no i was just sitting next to him at a baseball game yeah you don't even know him what the i don't even know everybody but i mean when you're at a baseball game mike you've been to baseball games you're sitting for three and a half hours next to somebody you say hello and whatever you're cordial (laughs) what's wrong with that Fine. Did he have a security detail? Yes, two of them. People are yes, fucking yes, nuts, yes. Man. Of course he did. But I mean, I, when know, I when I, I said Bob, when I said the last like a few podcasts back, I said uh, something like, you know, yeah, if somebody fucking you know doesn't like me wearing a mask, I'll take them down. And somebody wrote uh, wrote me on Facebook and says Bob gets it. What's wrong with you, you pussy? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, go fuck yourself. People are, people are, but I don't even think I responded, know, but you know, if, if he's listening, go fuck yourself. You fucking, no, but I, I, you know, I don't, like to get, our I, listener. I don't like to get <laughs> too political. I don't like to get too political, but, but, uh, but politics is about winning elections. Yeah. But fuck everybody. If they don't understand, that's what I'm all I'm no, saying. No, but what is, I'm saying I mean? is the reason why I, we're not winning. We're not running for anything. We're the not reason, running. We're just fucking no, discussing. Hold on. Shit. The reason why Roe v. Wade will be reversed is not Kevin McCarthy's fault or Donald Trump's fault. It's the Democrats losing to Donald Trump. I didn't think it was humanly possible that Donald Trump could be elected president. <laughs> no, that was, I, I just no like think did. about it. And when he came down those stairs, the fucking you know gold-plated bullshit stairs of his fake tower. And then he gave a speech that Mexicans are rapists. I was just like, oh, this think, is over. I, I think, no, I <laughs> yeah. really thought like, I think Hillary might be able to beat this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it all just proved how much everybody really does not want a woman president. They do not want. They'll, they'll oh, want I don't think it's about no, women it's at the all. Wrong woman. Is, Mike, there are a hundred women I would be happy to vote for. 
but not, not the rest her. of America, Bob. Not the rest huh? of America. Not the rest of America. They just no, I think it's they about her unlikability. That you know, Mar- uh, uh, Albright would have been a great president. You know, back the in job. the day before she was, you know, a little bit kind of too far gone. Diane Feinstein would have made a great president. <laughs> before she was she too far made gone. A, great a little long in the tooth. Ah, but who do you think I named my my middle daughter after? Madeline Albright. Oh, did she really? Imagine her. I thought I thought she would, be, you know, run for Senate and, and really try to chase it, but she didn't. Nobody really, nobody really smart wants to be president. Let's face it. No. <laughs> like, I, I can't. I, I don't. I, I don't know anybody that, that job. Chuck, no way. If all of a sudden, in the next ten years, like you just become this kind of cult hero, moderate, radical centrist, and you run for mayor of Huntington Beach and you win, and then you run for state assembly and you win, and then you run for senator and you win or governor, and eight years, ten years, twelve years from now. You're looking at like there's a possibility I might be president of the United States. Do you go hell no, or do you oh, go? Dude, dude. <laughs> dude. I watched. I, I watched want that the, so I watched, badly. I watched the Mayor Pete, the Pete Buttigieg uh, documentary. Nah, man, I, I, I <laughs> you know, you can't interest me enough in that. There's just, there's not, there's no payout. I don't see the upside other than. What there's uh, a documentary I, on uh, on Pete Boot? What did you say? Yeah, Buttigieg. Oh, yeah, I thought it was, was butt leg or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Sorry, you sound like a Republican. <laughs> I listen. I don't really. He's I a trumper. He's a trumper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, it's like one of those things where his thing slowly picks up. Bob gets like, it. How come you don't get it? maybe maybe he can get it you know and it's just like then he he, he throws his hat in and the, everything that you ha- he had to do on the way up is just like so sad and so phony and it just it, it I'd, it's might as well be a game show host it's easier work the pay's fine you know he might as well just be just smiles for everyone oh, wait, start a power pop band uh, just smile i think um I think NBA, there's, I saw this article about different occupations that make more than the president of the United States is like not, you know, I'm not talking about being the CEO of, uh, you know, obviously all the wealthy bankers and all that and heads of industry, but there's like many occupations, like charge nurse of a hospital, plastic surgeon, NBA referee make yes. more money than the president of the United States. <laughs> so why yeah. would you, I'd rather be an NBA referee. Can I get into no, that? No, after along I, after those I lines, become a leading gamer, I might go for an NBA referee. I think no. I like your, I like your retirement plan. I think that's yeah. a hell of a way to go. Remember well, George like Plimpton? Remember George Plimpton? He was a writer and he just did a bunch of crazy jobs. He, he actually played a whole uh, like series of plays as the quarterback of the Detroit Lions. Did you ever yeah. hear this guy? Yeah, sure. No. George Plimpton, right? Yeah, he, he was right. editor of the New York Times for a day. He did oh, he all played, these he jobs. Was, he was he he was a professional football player for a while. No, he, he into, just did it yes, to write an article about it. No, he he played on a team. Professional I know he football played on team. the Detroit Lions, but it was just to write an article about it. But still, well, and then it led to a book called Paper Lion, I think it was called. So he, he so Chuck, he would become these these different people, different occupations, just to like see what it was like to be in those shoes, right? That's thought, fun. What a cool thing! And then Lori Anderson started picking it up. The great artist that was married to Lou Reed for right. forever, she went and worked at McDonald's. Lori Anderson. Really? For a month to, to, to see what it was about, to see what it was like, because she it was, and she was writing this uh, big long opera musical thing about the me- mechanization of work in America, and so she went and worked at McDonald's, and she talked about it in a bunch of interviews of how how yeah it's mechanized the the work that you do is like jump the fryer down in, push the plank, do this, push the button, right. push this, push that but you're doing it with this team of people and that it's such a human experience. And you're hearing about somebody's kid got arrested and you're hearing, 
you know, I'm, I got to go out to Long Island and take care of my father who's sick. And you hear all these human stories of the people who work at McDonald's. Yeah, their job is all mechanized, but they're not. They're, yeah. you know, skin and blood and life and, you know, all this kind of human experience. And she wrote, she wrote a great thing about it. I think it's... Um, I think it's like a three album set that she did, but she went and worked at McDonald's. And I just thought, I just want to do other things. Like I'm tired of being a drug counselor. I want to do other things. I want to be a, you know, whatever, try to produce TV shows, try to manage bands. I just want to do other things. It really is, you know, not too late to try to do something cool and fun. Yeah. Right. So, so a writer should go underground and live uh, completely homeless for uh, a couple of months or something with the homeless people and write a book about it. That's what I think. That would be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It'd take you to a get couple a months to get in, though. Huh? You know, like if you're trying to break into like a, a homeless community, it takes time to even get in. I think that'd be a great undertaking. You'd have yeah. to have some real struggle. You wouldn't be able to. They take wouldn't that trust shit. you, right? They wouldn't trust yep. you. It would take time to build the trust. Did I tell you? So I did this thing years ago where with the Upright Citizens Brigade, you ever heard of them? Yeah. 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 So they do this thing where they have like a semi-celebrity or whatever. Gibby did it. And then he told them, maybe you want to do Bob Forrest. He's on Celebrity Rehab. And so I did it. And what they do is you kind of go out on stage and you tell this story. You like share. You like tell the story of your life for like 15 minutes. And then the lights go down and then all the improvisers improvise off of riff off of things from your life story, oh, right? Picking up on key things. That's yeah, fun. And so they riff <laughs> on it. And so the lights go down and you hear this one guy go, hi, uh, I, my name is Bob Forrest. I'm here for my appointment. And you hear this other voice say, well, good to meet you, Robert. How are you? Um, I'm Mr. So-and-so, I'm your, um, I'm your career counselor for high school, right? Mm-hmm. And so then, <laughs> we think <laughs> you, you know should be a junkie going. for 20 you know, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to get, <laughs> so it was obviously set it up that it's your high school guidance counselor, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, so what I want to do eventually, my long-term goal is to be on a television show that kind of exploits a celebrity addicts and uh, <laughs> oh, something along the line of uh, celebrity addicts and, uh, and uh, Dr. Drew. And so in order to get there, I'm going to have to start taking drugs here pretty quickly because it's a long <laughs> process right. of what traditionally has to happen between being on television as a drug counselor and being a junior in high school. <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm going to start out with pot for right now. I'm going to start drinking and pot. And then probably this summer in between junior and senior year, I'm going to maybe start snorting Coke. I would, I'm going to defer to you on that. Is it too early to start Coke? <laughs> I don't want to peak too soon. It was one of the funniest things. And it's the story of how you become a drug addict and then how you get sober and then how you become a drug counselor and then how you, help people working in treatment it was so perfect and they only heard the story like right then like i mean they might have thought yeah i know this guy's a drug counselor on dr drew so they might have already had the bit written and the lights go down but they did it so funny and i really i was sitting there because you're kind of listening to people make fun of your life it is kind of what happened i started smoking pot (laughs) and then i started doing coke and then, no, well, I started doing speed first, then Coke when I found it. And then I got really into it. And then uh, I got even further into it. And then I got deeply involved in it. And then I had a love affair with it. And then I gave up my life for it. And then I started debasing myself, Chuck, for it. Mm. You skipped mm-hmm. over the part. You skipped over the part from alcohol to black beauties and reds. Well, yeah, I mean, black, I never took reds. I, black beauties were my thing. I loved those things and they were so cheap. I think they were, they in this 
in and the what sense? Was in them? Could you get a black beauty for like 75 cents sometimes? Yeah, like, yeah. 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 Just but, think of that. You can get a right. drug for 75 cents. <laughs> and but what worked. was in them? Uh, I think it was like ephedra. I think it wasn't even methamphetamine. It was just something, no, it was something different. It was a black beauty, and I have no idea still to this day what was in them. Those and reds, which were downers, I have no idea yeah, what, uh, what the I fuck they put in. That. Uh, they were. I like capsules. drinking, so my con uh, my combo would be like, I uh, then later on, in senior year of high school, I started snorting the black beauties because you could kind of twist them open, and there's this powder inside. It started snorting. Even know we were snorting. <laughs> it was. It's yeah, ephedra. It's the stuff that the, that they outlaw now. Chuck, what's the right. thing? Yeah, ephedrine. Now they right? use this pseudoephedrine, which is for you, the. Well, look up Google, Mike, Google Black Beauties 1980s. What really were oh, they? Oh, they're not going to have anything. Yeah, they'll that. have it. It's a big deal. Black Beauties were big. Oh, that was a big deal. You know, you know, it was funny when you were doing that thing that, that working backwards from where we are, we didn't take the um, best paths to get to where we wanted to be. <laughs> we, we took we took the long way well, what <laughs> and was I don't so know, I'm funny even... is is that uh they just make it seem like you made all these decisions with great fourth forethought well i didn't go with my worst plan i certainly my went with my victor, best plan but just wasn't very good <laughs> my a guy i met in high school victor at uh, marina high school he's the one that knew these black beauties like he had them and i well, i liked them Whatever they were. What did Mike? Did you look it up? What is I'm it? I'm just getting a lot of uh great looking uh, African American women here. <laughs> Black beauty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the internet is rigged. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm I tried put, to look something up I the other put day. Drug of the sixties. Says Dextroamphetamine, Dexies. Black Beauty's Urban. Here's the Urban Dictionary. Yeah. Uh, amphetamines, pharmaceutical amphetamine. Yeah, but it's what not meth. Speed, strictly... It's not meth, though. It's not meth. No, it's not methamphetamine. It's amphetamine. It's amphetamine. What is the meth? Wait, Mike. What is the meth part of methamphetamine? What does meth mean? I don't even know. I'm so fucking stupid. Okay, you know, so it says, it says, here's what it says. It says it had amphetamines, not methamphetamines, plus methaqualone. Oh, which is quaaludes, right? Quaaludes mixed in with the black beauties. That's a meth. What is meth? What is meth, Chuck? Can you define it? It's just it's just it's another variant of the amphetamine, right? So it's it's you know stronger, more intense, more strong. Let me see. I, I can I can see, but I don't. I think it's methyl chloride yeah, listen, or something. Listen to what this says, Bob. It says amphetamine use continued rather uninhibited until that asshole Nixon came into office and passed the Controlled Substance Act in <laughs> 1970. <laughs> How about this? I found this out at lunch on Monday. Get this. You ready for this idiocracy or Tuesday? Okay. You, wanna, you ready for the most stupid thing? Yeah. So, so. Since fentanyl is a medical, there's a, there's many medical uses for it. It's a Schedule Two drug. Guess what's a Schedule One drug? More uh, meaning more serious. I hope I hope it's marijuana. Me. Marijuana. <laughs> so those That's Schedule One drugs are marijuana, heroin, cocaine, right? Methamphetamine. Right. But a Schedule Two drug, meaning a lesser, we don't have to worry about the Schedule Twos. Let's just really focus on the Schedule One drugs because those are the ones causing all our social you, problems. You know what's As, funny is how every, crazy is that? The fentanyl is a Schedule Two drug. It's insane. But you made me think about something, and that is, I often when I'm doing a biopsych social, right? It's like you're asking the drugs they've taken and when they first started and when was the last time they used them and i'll go amphetamines and they go oh i smoke meth every day and i go no amphetamines like adderall like uh you know a more prescribed amphetamine and then i get to meth but i don't ever describe the difference of what the difference i know is that the amphetamines you can usually are prescription and then the, the meth the methamphetamine is always different um depending on on who's cooking it right i mean i guess that's it's just a, who knows what these kids are taking anyways 
Who knows what we were some some method, some methods like a light blue color, man, from yellow to light like like a light blue. Yeah, well, but let me tell of- you, when I first moved to Richmond, Virginia, um, I first I just started smoking crack. I was trying to stay away from heroin. Hard to do, Chuck. I don't know if you've ever tried that. Nope. So if you're completely sober and you want to stay away from heroin. Crack is not the thing that you should do. No, but meth right. is good. <laughs> right. Meth would be better than crack. Oh, yeah. You can so, kick heroin on So meth. I probably went on like six or eight crack runs without with just drinking to come down. But then inevitably, you're going to ask that crack dealer, hey, do you know where to get any heroin at? And he <laughs> said, sure, certainly. And he was this funny guy, Clarence, I think his name is like, he's this funny guy in, in Churchill. And he goes, I knew it. I knew you were junkie. I knew it. Why were you wasting your time with this crack? That's what he said. Why were you wasting your time with your fear of this crack? Why are you wasting your time? And so then we walked, he, he, you know, he's on meth and heroin. He, we walked really fast and we walked like across Churchill. And we went to this guy's house and bought heroin. Right. And so then I started doing it. That's what's great. You know what's great? The the loving, kind, freewheeling, fun drug addicts like this guy. He's this guy I met out in front of a dry cleaner store. Just a fun, good guy. Felt safe at his house. You know, he, I felt him safe coming over to my house. It was just like one of those fun drug dealer good guys, like Frenchie kind of. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, he just showed me right where you buy heroin. He didn't try to make 40 bucks off me and make me wait at his house. Yeah, give me your money. Just, I'll be right back. Yeah, he just showed me right where, where it was and whatever. And so um, so I started buying from this guy. And pretty quickly, things got out of hand, Chuck. Why is that always happen? Why, when you have the best of intentions of not getting strung out, do you always get strung out? Why is that? I'm a smart guy, Chuck. I'm a disciplined man. I'm a disciplined man. I know how to, how to I, I know how to, you know, I know how to control myself with food. I know how to control myself with, with um, sex. I know how to control myself with so many things, right? I know exactly and, why. But I cannot control myself when it comes to this heroin stuff. Why I know, is that? I know exactly why. Why? Because you and I never prescribed to the weekend warrior philosophy. Never. Never. I, I mean, the, why be a weekend even, warrior when you can do the shit all the fucking dude, time? Dude, even when I was in eighth grade, I wasn't like, oh, no, I, you know, I can't wait for the gonna, weekend. I yeah. would sneak out my window of my parents' house. Like, I didn't give a fuck. If I want to go to the movies at 10 o'clock, I'm going. I was like yeah. 12 years old. I don't give a fuck what you think. I've always been a I don't give a fuck what you think type of person towards authority figures, right? Yeah. That whole, a, and even drinking served me that well, Chuck. And even drinking, mm-hmm. I never waited till noon or anything. I drank whenever oh, I, I know, wanted. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, it's drink, but that's, why we're the, that's why we're the one in 10 and why we... I, when you say, why can I, why couldn't I do it without getting strung out? I couldn't either. I don't think Mike could either. I didn't, it was that way with everything I did. I still can't understand why I couldn't use normally. If I bought a hundred bags and three bags get me really wasted at night and like one to wake up in the morning, that should last four into a hundred, Chuck. That should last 25, 25. days. Yeah. 25 days that should last. Yeah. That lasted five or six or seven days. Right. 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 The, so the truth is, if you're a using addict that listens to this, I don't think there are any. I think it's all sober people, but um, there's just no way. The math never works. The math, if, if you're a heroin addict, the math for heroin never works. If you're a fentanyl addict, the math for fentanyl never works. If you're a Coke addict, the math for Coke never works. If you're an alcoholic, the math for alcohol never works. Right mm-hmm. now, alcohol takes a more a different toll on you. It doesn't take as big a financial toll. It just takes a physical toll. Yeah. Right? Well, physical. To sum it up, do the math, not the math. <laughs> the math. <doesn't laughs> oh work. Jesus! Do the math. Oh no! Oh boy! <laughs> and uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I hate the Warriors so much. I'm rooting. I am rooting for the Boston Celtics to win the NBA championship. Oh, How uh, sick is that? It's wait, so because sick. because of dislike for the other team? Yes. 
They're so arrogant. Oh my God. I know you don't follow sports tech. I'm watching uh-huh. it right now. Golden State is so arrogant. I oh, mean, and I, how? Steph, Steph Curry, they're just the smirks on their faces. It's just like, it's like, it's like four Liam Gallagher's. It's just like you just <laughs> want to smack them. Right? Uh, between Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green, they're just insufferably arrogant. So you just want them to lose. But here's the thing the team I grew up trained to dislike the Boston Celtics are the ones playing them. So it's like, and I don't really hate the Celtics anymore because there's no real Celtics like a rivalry like there was when I was growing no. up. So I'm no. rooting for the Celtics and uh, it's strictly because of the smirks on those people's face. All right, good night, everybody. The math doesn't work. You heard it here first. Not for detox, but the meth does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Bye-bye. You have a great night. You too, Bye-bye. later. Bye. Bye. Bye.